Well, good morning. All right, today we are technically beginning a new series called For Non-Christians Who Doubt. Um, the reason I say it's technically new is because um, these past two weeks we have been talking about doubt, and this is our now third week of talking about the topic, but these last couple of weeks we called it For Christians Who Doubt. So two weeks ago we did For Christians Who Doubt Part 1, uh, last week we did For Christians Who Doubt Part 2, and we sort of ended that series, and now we're going to do For Non-Christians Who Doubt Part 1, and then next week will be For Non-Christians Who Doubt Part 2. I will say this, though, if you are a regular attender here and you just kind of want to consider in your mind this to be Part 3 of a four-week series on doubt, you are free to think of it that way. Um, I kind of do. Um, but the reason why I was saying it the way I was saying it is because at this point I am switching the emphasis of these sermons from don't abandon the faith, to here are some reasons to believe in the first place. So last week, I went to lunch with a friend of mine after church, and we were talking, and we were talking about this upcoming week, meaning today, and I said, oh yeah, this upcoming week, we start for non-Christians who doubt. And I jokingly said, I hope Christians show up next week, um, you know, because I didn't technically invite you, and so I was just like hoping that Christians would also show up. And he smiled, and he looked at me, and he said, we've figured out that all four of these weeks are for Christians and non-Christians. Like, we figured that out, Mario. And I, and I thought that was great that he figured that out, and I hope you have as well, because if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, I actually have already talked with you during these last couple of sermons. And for those of you who are here and you do believe in Jesus, there is stuff that I'm going to say over the next two weeks that certainly matters and is relevant to you. Um, so today's topic is, aren't miracles impossible? That's the question that I want to answer this morning. Aren't miracles impossible. And the reason I picked this topic is I think it is one of the major objections that people have to Christianity. I know that there are other objections, and I will not be able to get all of them in this four-week series or two-week series or whatever you consider it. Um, but this is one that I believe that I should focus on. Um, and so this is how it goes, especially for the person who is in the sort of the doubter position or the skeptic. They would go, I have a hard time believing in the supernatural. I have never seen anything supernatural happen. I've never witnessed a miracle. Everything I've seen in my whole life has been pretty normal and predictable. And believing in the Bible for me would be to have to choose to believe some pretty crazy stuff. That a virgin had a baby and the people die and rise again. I mean, Mario, do you really believe Jesus turned water into wine? Or that Moses parted the Red Sea? I mean, that's unbelievable. And I don't have any good reason to believe in the, the supernatural or the miraculous. And if that's you, I would say, I get that. I can easily empathize with where you're coming from. <clears throat> so this morning, what I'd like to do is, before we get into the main part of the sermon, I'd like to read to you just um, three passages of Scripture that are miracle passages, just so we're all on the same page. Let me, there's a lot of miracles in the Bible. Certainly can't read you all of them. But let me just read you three passages of Scripture that are all miracle passages in the Bible. I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is the very first, like if you just buy a Bible anywhere and just crack it open and read the first sentence, this is the first sentence of the Bible, okay? In the beginning, <clears throat> God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1-1, the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's a miracle. If you read the rest of the page that that's on, you will see that he creates everything out of nothing just by speaking it into existence. And so if you were ever wondering, how long does the Bible talk before it finally gets to the first miracle? It's in verse one. Like the first verse is a miracle. And then it goes from there. 
I'm going to read you another um, pretty famous miracle that I've already referred to, and that is Jesus turning water to wine. This is John chapter 2. I'm going to read you the second half of the story. So the first half of the story is Jesus is at a wedding, and they run out of wine, and his mom goes, what are we going to do? They ran out of wine. And then Jesus does this. John chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. And so what we see here is the claim is that Jesus not only turned water into wine, Jesus turned water into fine wine, right? And then the most important miracle in all of scripture, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 28. This is found four different times in the Bible, really more than four, but it's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them end their story with Jesus rising again from the grave. And all of them um, tell the story a little bit differently, but they have parts where they all agree, like Jesus rising again from the grave. Um, A couple of them, I think, two or three of them talk about an angel being present at the site where Jesus rose again. All of them agree that women were the first people to make it to the tomb, like the empty tomb site. Some of the accounts uh, emphasize one woman more than another or mention one woman's name and someone else doesn't mention a different woman's name. Um, But they all agree there were these women that showed up to the empty tomb. And this is Matthew's version of the story. Matthew says in Matthew 28, verse 5, But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, good morning. They came up, took a hold of his feet, and worshipped him. So, I'm aware that passages like the ones that I just read and other passages that are found in the Bible are the problem passages for some of you. That there are some of you that would go, yeah, it's just, if Christianity were just a collection of nice sayings, like, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and blessed are the peacemakers, and judge not, lest ye be judged. Like, if, that was, if Christianity was just a list of those, I could get into it. But it's this supernatural stuff that I reject. And so my goal today <clears throat> is not to convince you to believe in a miracle, but to show you that you already believe in one. But to do that, I need to ask you some other philosophical questions. I need to ask you, and this, you're going to see this is connected in a little bit. I need to ask you some of the big questions about the origins of everything. Questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? That's actually a really important question. And if you're here this morning and you are an, uh, an atheist or an agnostic, I think it's a particularly important question for you to ask. If there is no God, um, why is there something rather than nothing? Why are things the way they are? Another way you could even phrase this is, how did we get here? Where did everything come from? And I'm aware that there are some of you that um, have been taught that the answer to that question is evolution, right? Somebody says, where did we all come from? And you go, oh, I know this. Evolution is how we got here, right? Where did we come from? Yeah, I mean, that's scientific. I was taught that. I know that. That's the answer, evolution. Do we really need to discuss this? And my answer is, oh, yes, we do, because evolution does not answer the questions that I asked. 
okay? Um, and I want to be clear, I am not even going to get into in this sermon whether evolution is true or false, okay? I'm not getting into whether evolution is true or false in the sermon. It is not related to my point. What I'm saying is whether evolution is true or false, either way, it does not answer the question that I asked, why is there something rather than nothing? Evolution is meant to be an explanation of how higher evolved things came from lesser evolved things. It does not even attempt to answer where all the matter came from. You following me? Right, so if we could sit here and we could, I could say to someone, hey, where do we come from? And I realized there would be people that say primates is where we came from, right? So the modern-day human and the modern-day monkey both descended from a common ancestor that was a primate a long, long time ago. Okay, but where did that primate come from? Now, the answer is going to be a lesser-evolved species, okay? But where did that lesser-evolved species come from? The answer is going to be an even lesser-evolved species. Yes, I get the point. I understand the system. I get the whole theory. I'm just asking you, if you keep going back, and you keep going back, where did it all come from? When you go back to when we were in the water and we were sort of like fish and whatever, where did that come from? Well, that was... And you keep going back. Like, where did it come from? Well, well there was an amino acid, and there was a thing... Yes, but where did the amino acid come from? Well, see, there's a protein. Yeah, but where did the protein come from? Well, see, the, there's the basic building blocks of everything. There's hydrogen, and there's oxygen, and there's carbon. Yes. Where did that come from? What got the whole chain started? Right? And someone would say, well, there's a big bang. And what caused the big bang? Where did the whole thing start? You, can, can you have an infinite regression? Right? That it came from this, which came from this, that came from this, that came from this, that came from this. Can that go for all of eternity? Where did it begin? And that's the thing I'm saying. Evolution is not even designed to answer that question. At some point, we need to ask ourselves, where did all the stuff that everything is made of come from? And as far as I can tell, there are only three possibilities. I've thought about this a lot, and I, I really I'm, I don't think that there are any other possibilities other than these three. These are like mutually exclusive or whatever the word is. Like everything, every theory that you can come up with, I think falls into these three categories. It's got to be one of these three things. So we're going to put it on the screen for you. The origin of everything. Where did everything that, it, that exists, where did it come from? So these are the, as far as I know, everybody believes one of these three, because it has to be one of these three. The spontaneous universe, the eternal universe, or the created universe. Let me explain what these mean. Number one, the spontaneous universe. This is the belief that once upon a time, there was nothing. And then a universe began. Okay, it doesn't, it, this does not, there didn't have to be a God that was involved. It's just, there was nothing. And then one day the universe began and it, you know, did all whatever it did. And it's been in different forms over the years. But, but at some point there was, there was nothing. And then everything started. And the spontaneous universe would say that the universe that started didn't have a cause. It couldn't have had a cause. Okay, follow the logic. Because before it existed, there was nothing. So there were no things to have caused it, right? So the entire universe just began without any cause because there was nothing and then one day there was everything, okay? Now, if that is true, that's miraculous. That's miraculous that there was, there, that there's th this giant uncaused cause called everything, right? And it just inexplicably came into existence on its own with nothing to cause it because there was nothing before that. That is miraculous. And I'm using the word miraculous to mean I think the way we normally mean it, like not able to be explained by science, like ordinarily impossible. And yet if that's what happened, that's, then that would be miraculous. Now here's the another option. The other option is the eternal universe. 
Okay, there are people that believe this. I remember reading a book by an atheist, and he talked about how this is what he believes. And the idea is this. Maybe there wasn't a day where there was nothing, and then there was something. Maybe there just always was something. That the universe itself, all of the stuff that everything is made of, has just always existed. And so if you just go back, like before that, before that, before that, there never was a time that, that, that anything started. Just everything that exists has always existed. Obviously not in the form that it exists now, right? It's been swirling around and doing different things for a long time. But if you just keep going back, there's no, if you get, well, what, what caused it? The answer would be, that you could, again, it would be there was no cause because there was no before it, right? It's eternal. It's just always been here. There was never like the time before there was the stuff. So nothing could have caused it because there never was a before it, right? It's just everything that exists has just inexplicably always existed. If that's true, that's miraculous, right? That's unexplainable. That is ordinarily impossible for the, the just things to always exist without a cause. And yet if it's true, that's what happened, right? That's miraculous. The third option is the created universe. The belief of the created universe goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a God and nothing else. That God has always existed, okay? There never was a before that God. So in that sense, the God of the created universe theory is like the universe of option two, right? Just inexplicably, he's always existed. There's something about the nature of God that there just never is a before God. So he just has, there's an eternal God who's always existed, but at, that, at some point, he brought into existence everything else. So there was nothing but him, and then suddenly there was all the other stuff, very similar to the spontaneous universe theory of option one. And if that happened, that's miraculous, right? That's not accountable, like explainable by science, ordinarily impossible. And if that's what happened, that's what happened. And I guess what I want to point out to you is all three of these things are miraculous and one of these three things happened. Had to have. What other options are there? One of these had to happen. And so I wanted to start off today by pointing this out to you you already believe in a miracle. At some point, everyone in this room, atheist, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim, we all know at some point the impossible happened because we're here. Now let me point out that the miracles that are in the Bible are in many ways easier to believe than any of these. They're, they're lesser. They're, they're, they're less inexplicable. They're, they're less incredible than any of these. I mean, if you believe that everything came from nothing, couldn't wine have come from water one time? <laughs> right? No, water couldn't come from wine. But everything came from nothing? Yes. Okay, but, but you're, you're, believing, you're, you're, you're believing the more difficult one, right? Or if you believe that the universe is eternal, like, couldn't it be that Jesus is eternal? That he's always lived and that he rose again and will always live? Or if you believe that God created the universe, couldn't you believe in the lesser miracles in Scripture? Which I think there are people like that. You might even go, wait, are there even people, Mario, who believe in option number three and yet doubt the miracles in Scripture? Oh, yeah, I think there's all sorts of people. You've probably met them, right? That would say, no, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. I bet there's people in this room that believe this, and I'm sure you've all met people that I think they would say, yeah, if you put, give me these options, I guess number three, I believe in a God. Like there had to be, some kind of higher power that got everything started. But that doesn't mean I believe the miracles of the Bible. Okay? And I would say, okay, but shouldn't we admit, if there is a creator God, 
aren't the smaller miracles in the Bible possible? I have a friend who has a PhD in philosophy. He's a college professor. He's written academic material. And one day I was talking with him about this. And he said, this is a paraphrase, but this is what he said to me. He said, if there is a God who created everything out of nothing, couldn't he turn one liquid into a slightly different liquid? Well, yeah, he could. Couldn't the being who brought the universe into existence part the Red Sea that he made or multiply loaves and fishes or bring the dead to life? So you may think that you can't believe this stuff, but what I'm telling you is you already believe something crazier than this, okay? We all do. So let me end by talking about the most important miracle that ever happened after creation. After God made the world, there are lots of miracles mentioned in the Bible, but I, I just want to jump to the one that is the most important, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's not just my opinion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important miracle. Like the Bible treats the resurrection of Jesus Christ as different than the other ones, as the most important one. And so I want to show you where that is in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can turn there now if you have a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read you this. There's sort of a logical progression. So I don't think I'll have to stop and explain it too much. I think if you just listen closely, you should be able to figure out what this means. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Would that make sense so far? Right. If, if, if dead people cannot come back to life, if that's not a thing, then Christ didn't, right? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. You following that so far? So the resurrection didn't happen, then Jesus, if resurrections can't happen, Jesus did not come back to life, which means we're li- we Christians are lying about that because we're saying that that is what happened, right? Which is not what happened if it doesn't ever happen. And then look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If Christ has not been, now this is interesting. It it does not say if Christ has not been raised, well, no big deal. There's like a hundred other miracles, you know, that back up the whole thing. That's not what he says. No, if that one is not true, the whole thing's a waste of time. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. The position that the Bible takes is something, there's something really special, that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, then the rest of the stuff in the Bible that actually matters isn't true, and therefore the whole thing doesn't matter. If Jesus didn't rise again from the grave, you are still in your sins. If Jesus did not come back to life after he died, then he did not die on the cross for our sins. This idea that we are forgiven, this idea that we have a right relationship with God. If Jesus didn't rise again from the grave, we cannot be reconciled to God. Our sins are not forgiven. There's no way to, to assume our sins are forgiven because he died on the cross if he died and stayed dead like everybody who's ever died. No, we'd still be in our sins. And this idea that we are reconciled to God, this idea that when we die, we would live with him forever and everything would be okay, none of that's true if Jesus didn't rise again from the grave. And so I think what this verse is saying, it's it's not simply saying if Jesus didn't rise, we got other miracles. I don't think it's even saying if Jesus didn't rise again, then we would have no good reason to believe 
the other miracles, right? So, so it doesn't say, hey, Jesus didn't rise again, but at least we got Jonah and the whale. Like that happened, right? He doesn't say that. And, it, and he doesn't even say, if Jesus didn't rise again, now we have reason to doubt whether Jonah was swallowed by the whale and survived. No, I think the whole point of what he's saying here is, if Jesus didn't rise again from the grave, it doesn't even matter if Jonah was swallowed by a whale and survived. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Who knows? Crazy things happen. Maybe there was someone who was swallowed by some sort of fish and lived through it. But it wouldn't matter that that happened. Who cares that that happened? If Jesus didn't come back to life, the, import, the part of the Bible that matters for us is not true and the whole thing is worthless. And so in a lot of ways, it really comes down to just that one miracle. You don't have to consider, well, are all the miracles in the Bible true? You really just need to start with that one. Did Jesus come back to life? Did Jesus come back to life proving that his words about God are true? Did Jesus come back to life proving that he really did secure our eternity? That's the one miracle you should truly consider. Because if that one is true, the rest of them are true. And if that one is not true, the rest of them don't matter. So for now... I guess I want to explain just a little bit about that. I do not have time this morning to do a whole sermon on why the resurrection of Jesus is historical and reasonable and believable, okay? Because I'm, I'm actually already in the middle of a sermon, um, and I don't have time to do a whole, a whole new one starting right now. But I will say, I have preached such a sermon before. So if you are interested in that, I have such good news for you. It is available to you. You can go onto our church's website if you want to know about this, and you can find the sermon that is titled, The Most Important Things That Ever Happened, Part 2. Okay, that's the name of the sermon. I'm not super good at sermon titles. Um, but that was the title, okay? The Most Important Things That Ever Happened, Part 2. And if you find that on our website, you will see that there is a full, like, 34-minute explanation where the whole sermon is just on that one topic. Did the resurrection really happen? Why should we believe that that was a historical event? For today, I'm just going to briefly point out that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is backed up by a lot of historical evidence. That Jesus rose again from the grave in the first century during the time period of the Roman Empire. And after he did, a bunch of things happened historically. It was a significant event, and so there was a reaction to it. History changed because Jesus rose again from the grave. So Jesus rose again from the grave, and then the next decades after that, stuff happened. There, first of all, there was a religion that sort of appeared out of nowhere. I mean, you could kind of argue that the Old Testament had set up for it, but it was the beliefs that these people suddenly had were, were beliefs that nobody saw coming before Jesus rose from the grave, or at least before people claimed that Jesus rose from the grave. There suddenly was this new religion that just appeared fully formed, and all these people were swearing that they saw Jesus like he was dead, then he was alive again. And they went around in a culture where you could get killed or imprisoned or tortured for saying that, and they kept telling everybody that's what they saw. And I could see why people would tell a lie if it benefited them. I don't see why people would go tell a lie that was getting them killed, right? People tell lies so that they won't get killed. People rarely tell lies so that they will get killed, right? So they're going around the Roman Empire, even though there's this threat of killing, and they're telling everybody, this is what we saw. Um, and, and they had this boldness. There was like, and if you kill us, that's fine, because we could rise again from the de dead. Which, where did they get that from? There was a generation of people that suddenly started believing that. And then stuff happened, like the church formed and the message spread all over the place. Eventually, the day that they considered the holy day moved from like Saturday to Sunday because Jesus rose again on a Sunday. And so things happened in the later half of the first century and the second century and the third century that makes sense if Jesus rose again in the first century. If he didn't, 
what happened back then that caused all that? Because that stuff happened. Like history took an interesting turn 2,000 years ago. And if it wasn't the resurrection that caused it, I ask you, what other like death-defying, life-shattering thing happened around that time that caused all that stuff? Because that stuff happened. And so I'm saying, I'm just briefly pointing out again, you could go to that sermon if you want a longer explanation. There's a lot of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I guess in this sermon, what I'm saying is maybe even more simple than that, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not as unbelievable as some of the stuff you already believe. Can I get that chart up here one more time? Everybody in this room knows this. We already know. The impossible happened. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you have shown us. There are miracles that happened a long time ago that we don't have any way to like verify now because we weren't there. But we're still in this world that we look around and we go, yeah, there's a miracle that like, I can still see every day. We're here somehow. And so I thank you for how this earth testifies to you every day of our life. And I thank you that Jesus didn't resurrect in a corner somewhere where nobody witnessed it, but that there were so many people who knew him before and after. And that it shook the world up in such a way, it's, it's hard to imagine what the world would be like without that. But ultimately, I know that there are people who even witness miracles and they don't believe just because of that. And so I ask for your spirit to come into our hearts. Those of us who already know you, I pray that for your spirit that you would fill us up and help us to continue to believe in you. And for those of us who do not know you, I ask that your spirit would come into our hearts and turn us into people who do believe in you. And I pray we would do our part, that we would place our faith in you, that we would go, wow, I've never even doubted my doubts. But I realize now the impossible happened. And I don't know. And I pray that would be just enough to open the door. I pray that they would trust in you and know you. I pray that you would bring people to come to know you even today. I thank you for the opportunity to share this. We love you. It's really exciting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.